I'm Stephanie Overbuck. I'm Mel Wymore. And this is Pot of Gold. So this week we are speaking with Stephen de Mellomer, an expert in currency design and blockchain technology. Stephen is on a mission to design and build monetary, economic and financial networks that put people and planet over profit through the use of complementary currencies. Complementary currencies are designed to fill monetary needs that aren't met by fiat currencies like the dollar. Our current monetary system just doesn't work for most people, incentivizing growth, depleting our planet's resources, and concentrating a gross majority of wealth in the hands of a select few. Complementary currencies are one way of circumventing that system and introducing new ways to exchange that support community resilience and keep wealth local and decentralized. We're super excited about Stephen's work. Let's have him introduce himself. Uh, my name is Stephen Demillionaire, and I'm based in Bali in Indonesia. I'm originally Canadian, but I've been living here in Indonesia for the past 20 years. I'm co-founder of COIN, um, which is an agency which designs complementary currencies for a wide variety of purposes. I'm also a spokesperson, a representative at the IDK Foundation, which is um, an Indonesian rupiah cryptocurrency stablecoin. So this is a new kind of digital currency that's uh, pegged to the Indonesian rupiah, which we are using for financial inclusion here in this country. I'm also a consultant and trainer and advisor and mentor and, and very involved in the application of complementary currencies and blockchain technologies for social impact, uh, mostly in the third world. So that would be Latin America, Africa, Asia, and work on hackathons and with a wide variety of teams in this area. So, so you could say that uh, social impact is where my heart is, and, and that's probably why I've been living here in Southeast Asia for so long. So what does it mean? You know, I, I think our listeners might be interested to hear when you talk about social impact. What are you exactly talking about? And how do these technologies, currencies engage in that? I mean, what is what is the real meaning of all of this? Sure. Well, social impact kind of refers to economic and environmental environmental impact as well, too. So uh, we we. We use social impact just to make it easy for, for people to understand that uh, we're using money in a way that can change people's lives. What a lot of people don't understand is that money is a human construct uh, that is, was created by us. It's been enshrined in these large institutions that seem uh, backed by law, by guns, by uh, you know, powerful governments, and they are no longer able to be changed. And while that may be true for the U.S. dollar or the Indonesian rupiah or national currencies around the world, there are thousands and thousands of other ones that are much more human designed that are intended to achieve these specific purposes, whether that's financial inclusion or whether it's uh, improving the environment of a particular area or incentivizing behavior changes among people in order to encourage them to be better at recycling or composting or, or whatever the goal is or to use public transport. Um, there's a wide variety of different outcomes that uh, these, these kinds of currencies can be used to achieve or designed to achieve. Uh, for example, a number of communities in America and have, been, have started to issue their own local currencies for COVID relief. So this would be, uh, these would be currencies that would incentivize people to start spending at, at local businesses again. What a great idea. Could you give us an example? Uh, yeah, there's a, a town in Colorado. That's, uh, it's actually a very simple one. It's, it's more of a token 
uh, like a coupon that's denominated in the form of money that you can spend at a local business and then the local business can pay that as a portion of their of the taxes that they pay to the town so that means that any business in the town can accept that local currency and hopefully that uh, that local currency circulates several times before it goes back into the coffers of the local town and we call that a, a multiplier or multiplier effect it's a standard term in, in monetary theory uh, that we want to increase the velocity of money so when you just uh, the problem with quantitative easing for example is that you just issue a ton of money throw it into the economy and hope that it does something but it doesn't necessarily do anything um, some people received way more than they needed and other people didn't receive enough so the people that received more than they needed are probably investing in gold and the stock market and something that they that they trust more on a long-term basis rather than actually spending it at local businesses so so it might not have the desired kind of impact whereas if you design a currency to circulate rather than to be hoarded then you can uh, improve the local economy by you know because a lot of businesses have been been impacted significantly by the downturn that happened because we've all been um, you know shelter in place or we've had to stay in our homes or you know not go around that much um, so so we need currencies that circulate more than than can be hoarded or saved for the long term and I think that's something that a lot of governments um, larger governments are missing because they just don't have access to these kinds of tools that towns and cities can can have or even states in fact when you talk about people the the circulation right how does how does it happen that a dollar being spent doesn't circulate as fast as a token designed for a small business? What, what is the science behind that? Um, yeah, there's a, there's a few things. It's actually not, it's not rocket science exactly, um, which is great. Um, dollars just can be spent anywhere or euros or yen can, can um, circulate wherever they want to because they're accepted uh, throughout the country or even throughout the world. So there's no incentive for that money to stay local and to keep circulating between you, you two and me and, and our local business owners or local organizations. And so if there's, you know, if um, the economy is doing well, that doesn't seem to be an issue. But when the economy slows down a lot, then um, some some kinds of businesses are are hit really hard. And um, so we so we need this is when currencies uh, like community currencies start to be designed or come back again uh, is whenever the economy is going down because there's a counter cyclical effect that happens. Uh, local currencies speed up economic activity when the national currency uh, or fiat money, as, as it's sometimes called, starts to dry up. So we see this um, uh, uh, people returning to barter and trading more with each other and paying attention to each other's businesses. You know, we're making sure that we're supporting our neighbor's business um, rather than going to a chain store or something like that. So it's really basically, um, that's all there is to, all there is to it. You mentioned economic inclusion and I think this is one of the biggest topics of the day especially in the United States where the rich poor gap is so wide that a, a lot of our communities are just completely excluded and when you combine that with other issues like racial inequality um, you have very heavily marginalized communities that, that, that where poverty continues for generations and so this issue of Economic inclusion is very critical in this time. How would a complementary currency or any of the tools that you work with 
achieve a better result for us? Sure. Well, I think the first uh, thing that needs to be understood is that um, when we talk about banking the unbanked, for example, or financial inclusion, bringing everyone in, it's not the responsibility of banks to go out there and get every customer in the, in the society. There's no incentive really for them to do that. So it's very easy for banks to say, okay, well, we've got the customers we want. They make a certain amount of money per year. They spend a certain amount in the economy. They borrow, uh, you know, they, they borrow money from us and repay the interest on it as well too, which is, which is great. We want those kinds of people. But these other, there's these other kind of people that we just don't want at all. Um, they don't make enough money. They, don't borrow, they can't afford to take out loans, or when they do, they can't repay them. Um, and we don't care about whatever um, situation they're in that causes that, uh, you know, causes things to be like that. Um, we just care that, you know, we just want to focus on the customers that we want. So uh, financial inclusion is, uh, is a way of changing the, the focus of the provision of financial services to, to, to these people, uh, people who live in these areas or who, are, who have been for one reason or, or another put into this kind of situation. Now, the great thing about this is we have the technologies at, um, at an individual level or a peer-to-peer -peer level to be able to deliver them. Um, we call them financial technologies or peer-to-peer -peer technologies where we remove the bank as the, as the intermediary uh, in this and we, we either, well, some, some um, providers of these financial services do act as kind of an extension of what a bank would normally provide. So they, they find ways of, of um, providing financial services to people who have been economically marginalized. Um, but we're going even further than that more and more now um, with the introduction of cryptocurrencies and blockchain technologies such as Bitcoin or, and others, which are allowing, uh, you know, they, they provide us with technologies that allow us to issue currencies that can't be broken or taken away or censored or or anything and i think more and more we'll, we will be seeing uh, the development of financial services that don't involve banks at all um, we're already seeing the rise of peer-to-peer -peer lending of course that's been around a long time with companies like kiva and so on but we're seeing an even greater decentralization of lending um, and with a, a much broader range of metrics being used to determine if someone is credit worthy um, as right down to the social impact and support level as well as decentralized uh, insurance provision so that people can actually buy insurance whereas normally they would just not be able to access that through the through the regular market or through the through the regular banking system okay let's take an example here for example i am a single mom with three kids living in subsidized housing how could a complementary currency help my life so it, it what it would do is it would make it easier for for this um this person to connect with other people nearby her who may have what she needs uh, and in, and and in turn she might have what they need or what other people need so that um people are mobilizing the, the resources that they have and talents that they have to be assisting each other a whole lot more than they are. Um, when we just receive handouts, it, it keeps us um, separated from each other and individualized. So um, it, it's not easy for people to see the situation that other people are in unless we're able to engage with them in a kind of local economic way, you know, like a cup of flour, a cup, you know, with the neighbor, 
kind of thing or borrow a cup of sugar or, or maybe even more than that. You know, it could be helping someone with childcare or with, with uh, improving their home or renewing their garden or something like that, right? Things that, you know, would... Um, would improve society all around. I want to bring it down to the, you know, someone can actually imagine having this work in their everyday lives. What does that look like? Right. It's similar. It would be something similar to Neighborly, if you're f familiar with that app. Um, um, you would be able to uh, create your own profile. Mm -hmm. uh, you'd be able to create your own profile um, where you would put your, your address or your location possibly. Um, you could restrict access to other, you know, your, your information to keep it private. But if you're, if you're agreeing that someone can come over to help you or if you're um, connecting with someone uh, in some way, you could be able to share your, your map location with them so that they could come over or you, they could know how far away you are from, from their place. Um, there would be, um, a wallet function so that you could receive uh, payments from other people or other institutions locally so they you could receive possibly a kind of reward if you've if you've identified infrastructure damage in the community things that need to be repaired or a, a pothole in the road or um, you know you're you've joined in on a on a clean neighborhood cleanup so you'll receive some some tokens that you can then use to take the kids skating or to the public swimming pool uh, something like that, and and we've we've worked with a number of different municipalities worldwide that that want to improve the usage of their of their public infrastructure like that, you know, um, public skating, the pools, and, and so on, public transit, and um, so you would uh, th all those kinds of things would be built into the app, and then there would be kind of a marketplace where you could offer uh, like post what you're offering, uh, the kinds of services or skills, but you could also see the kinds of things that uh, the help that people kind of need so it it might be a little bit like craigslist um without the you know the scary bits uh, it would be uh, <laughs> generally a, a bunch more a, a lot more about people helping people and um getting together to you know create a child care pool or or a urban gardening uh, you know take over a lot and turn it into an urban garden or something like that would be more the application of uh, of it I'm wondering if you have kind of a grand vision. You've been working in this area for so long and you're a pioneer, um, been talking about this, um, these ideas way before most people have ever even heard of them. And I'm wondering, you stuck with it all this time. What is the vision that you have? What, what, why, what drives you? Uh, well, I don't have a political agenda per se. I think that everyone should try and be nice to each other and help each other out. Um, rather than be competitive in fighting, and I think that uh, I suppose those it's um, those kinds of values that uh, motivate me. I think that uh, we're coming to uh, another era in the governance of human society where we're able to take more responsibility for our own affairs. At least that's what my my hope would be through the creation of new forms of money. And now that the the invention of Bitcoin has been let out of the box. Um, it just seems to me that uh, if that takes hold, if that grows bigger than it already is, because it's it's ten years old and it's still quite quite a tiny uh, um, quite, quite a tiny currency um, in in world terms, certainly anyway. Um, that you know, when we change the way that money is designed and issued, we change the forms of government um, that are around them. Um, it's part of the natural process of decentralization. Um, you know, in, in many things, not just governance, but um, it's also the the role that uh, digital 
technologies are playing in our lives. So when we, when we can, can take an idea, especially a human idea, and, and quantify it digitally, then it's much easier for us to, to start making all sorts of new things out of it. And we, we see that with media and, and music and, and all sorts of other things um, that we've been able to, you know, to take and start to create um, a whole, form, whole new forms of wealth out of. Would it require mayoral approval to have a complementary currency in a marginalized community in New York or anywhere else? No, no, it doesn't. And, and from what I'm understanding now as well, too, that laws have recently changed in America that would even allow um, counties and, and possibly even states to issue their own currencies. And um, it, we've seen in many other places as well, too, worldwide, where uh, governments uh, might say, well, we don't really like this. This could impact uh, our currency in ways that we haven't been able to accommodate. But that's usually just because they don't like competition. You know, they would prefer to, to keep money as a, mon as a monopoly and not have to um, prove the strength uh, and the solidness of their currency relative to a competitor, which is why it's important to have competition between currencies as well. Mm -hmm. um, it's funny, we just think that, well, there should only be one kind of currency, the currency of our country, the US dollar, the Canadian dollar, or the Indonesian rupiah, that can only circulate within the, the bounds of our country. But in fact, um, we're getting to a point where with air miles and, and bonus, you know, all sorts of loyalty rewards that are becoming more and more and more like money, that we're already in a, in a, in a multi-currency economy. There are many, many communities in, in America that have their own currencies. Uh, legally, sometimes with the support of the municipality and the mayor and, and the council and so on, and sometimes um, not, you know, they're citizen um, initiatives or through community organizations that, uh, that uh, issue these currencies or, or launch these systems in order to achieve a particular uh, kind of outcome. And, and all ranges of that are, are legal, you know. So we see the, the, for example, with cryptocurrencies with BitLicense in New York um, on the one hand, and then you have the ability to pay your taxes in Wyoming and Arizona with Bitcoin. So you have a, a very wide range of, of regulatory options um, to choose from, even just within America. Does Bitcoin have the capacity to continue to thrive? Like, a, isn't it a limited currency? Uh, well, each Bitcoin can be divided into a hundred million pieces. Um, so it's, it's uh, although there's only 21 million Bitcoins that will ever be issued into, into the Bitcoin system uh, or the Bitcoin economy, um, that you can go 21 million times 100 million and then you get an idea of just how large um, actually the monetary base could, could actually be if the value of Bitcoin continues to rise. Although I'm, I'm not particularly, I'm not suggesting it become a, a replacement for national currency because I think that, again, I, I agree with competition between currencies. So I think that there's um, many ways that, um, you know, many different currencies that need to be issued and Bitcoin is certainly not the only way to be doing it. Um, but it's, it points the way to, to how we can issue money into an economy that doesn't, that can't be, um, played around with by, by governments and, and leaders or, or councils or federal reserves and so on. But it, it has a purely algorithmic issuance. You know, it's, it, a certain amount is issued every 10 minutes into the economy and, and there's no human in the world, um, no collection of humans in the world, no power at all in the world that can change that, that simple fact. <laughs> and and that's, that's really amazing, right? Um, 
Um, but then um, it's only issued to people who are, are securing the network. So it's not, it's not a currency that's accessible to everyone. So it's exclusive in a certain way. And it's only purchasable with fiat money or, or with national currency. Um, so it's not a, it's not a currency that um, is designed for financial inclusion. Um, it, it helps in a lot of ways. You know, it's it's radically transparent. You know, all the transactions are visible. Um, so there are things about it that point towards an interesting future about how money uh, money could look. But it's not the most ideal form of money out there either. At the same time, so so and but it being valuable, being um, you know having its having its uh, positive sides and having its negative sides means that there will be other currencies that will have other positives and other negatives to them and and so on so uh, i think that does go back to what you were talking about um, regarding balance uh, between currencies earlier um that we can um, we can see a future where or give a place uh, see a place where uh, these kinds of currencies uh, are going to fill into the yin gap uh, that's been left kind of exposed for, for a long period of time or has only flourished within certain kind of communities. Um, you could say more libertarian oriented if you're kind of right wing or more uh, hippie oriented if you're kind of left wing. And it's sort of where the where the two of those kinds of people actually get together in, in one room and can, can understand each other's language a, a little bit more. Which is funny in a way, because I, I've, I've uh, seen that happen. I <laughs> wonder if we could speak a little bit to how complementary currencies could be employed to address climate change, which is another one of the, you know, the big topics the big yeah. that we face in the near future. Ah, uh, Yes, absolutely. Um, but it's an area where we haven't seen a whole lot of innovation just yet. So we're, 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 tr we're trying to figure out, um, I think people in this field are trying to figure out what the best direction is. We can see a, a change to how carbon credits are being issued. That's one really big area. So carbon credits uh, are still a very, uh, carbon credits circulate in a very uh, tiny market or very enclosed or exclusive market. And it's not one uh, where citizens can normally be involved in. You know, I, um, it's not easy for, say, you or me to to go and buy some carbon credits and start investing in them with the expectation that we might be, you know, incentivized uh, or receive some stability at least in our investment uh, regarding them. So they're not really a, they're not a, really an investment mechanism that encourages people to to buy them. Um, there are other ways where we can encourage people to to make use of lower carbon uh, transportation options you know by encouraging people to walk or bicycle or take public transit instead of driving their own personal car so that's one way another way in which these kinds of currencies could be be issued or designed uh, you know have the incentives designed around them um, but we've really only seen a few of those kinds of approaches uh, being taken because it's still really hard for people to determine uh, what kind of approaches to to take and perhaps because there are um, sort of bigger problems on the t you know in the in the nearer future especially as a result of this um, pandemic that people are concerned about tackling rather than you know I mean as we've kind of seen we've um, Issues of climate change have kind of gone on the back burner as a result of this this current situation, 
And um, once this is over, and, and I'm very sure it's going to be over, then, um, then issues of climate change and, and uh, you know, the, Arctic, the Arctic and the Antarctic heating up and, and melting more rapidly than we expected are going to be coming back on the front burner again and saying, okay, well, this is, we've seen um, the awesome things that have happened in our lives as a result of this pandemic happening. I mean, there's been many fantastic things that have happened in, in my own life as a result of slowing down and not traveling so much and, and engaging uh, more closely with my family, community, friends, um, and colleagues so there i think a lot of people have have really appreciated the chips uh, i mean there are a lot of people who can really see the good side of of what's happened here and that um slowing down is possible and a, and a less consumptive lifestyle is is definitely possible to to achieve so with that in mind um we might be able to see a bit of a marriage between the two situations where people continue to to reduce their salaries by 20% or take a day off uh, each week, go to a four day work week so that other people can be employed and, um, and those kinds of changes. And maybe complementary currencies can come in there as well to, to, to assist or give the, the nudge where needed. Thank you so much, Stephen. Thank you very much. I, I really appreciate it. It's been great to, to talk with you. Thank you so yeah. much. Awesome. You can learn more about Stephen's work at network-economies.com, coinacademy.co, coin.org, where coin is spelled with a Q, and complementarycurrency.org, where you can explore starting a complementary currency of your very own. We'll include all of these links with our show notes at the bottom of our website, podofgold.world. If you like this conversation, you should also check out some of our previous conversations about currency design, such as with Bannon Inus, Kate Rayworth, Anand John, Jean Robert de and Gwen Holsmith. So we directly link those episodes in our show notes. You simply need to go there and click. We're an independent, listener-supported podcast. Thanks to our producer, Riley Paul. Support us by rating this episode and sharing with all your friends. And to learn more, join us at potofgold.world. I'm Stephanie Overbach. And I'm Mel Wymore. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening.